Hi, and welcome to episode 27 of the Digital Sociology Podcast with me, Chris Till. Uh, today, I'm talking to Peter Bloom, Owain Smolovich-Jones, and Jamie Woodcock on um, a book that they've written together. A really, really interesting book on uh, guerrilla democracy and digital politics. And this is uh, this is quite a deep philosophical, in parts, uh, discussion we have about um, the, sort of the principles behind how democracy kind of functions today through kind of digital means and particularly uh, kind of uh, how methods of resistance uh, function as well using digital digital technologies but we do also talk about some some quite practical grounded kind of examples and, and try to make those connections there's details on their book in the podcast description and on my uh, blog post for this episode and yes it's a highly recommended book uh, it's uh, it, it should be out i think by the time you're you're listening to this so uh, yeah hope you enjoy this episode so i'm here today talking about um, a really exciting uh, new book which i've had a great privilege to read um, and the book is uh, written by three great three great scholars uh, whose work I've, I've kind of followed for a little while and uh, i'm really uh, excited to be talking to you um, so uh, before I introduce the book, I'll just introduce my guests. So I'm here with Professor Peter Bloom, who's Professor of Management at the University of Essex. So hi, Peter. Hi. Um, I'm here with also with Owain Smolovich-Jones, who is Director of the Open University's Research into Employment, uh, Empowerment and Futures Academic Centre of Excellence. So hi, Owain. Oh, hi, Christopher. <laughs> hi. <laughs> Um, and I'm also here with Dr. Jamie Woodcock, who is a senior lecturer at the Open University as well. Hi, Jamie. Hi, great to be here. Uh, so thanks for uh, thanks for being here, everyone. So the book we're talking about, which um, is uh, is not quite published, I think, when we're talking, but uh, I think will be, but probably by the time this comes out, um, is called uh, Guerrilla D- uh, Democracy: Mobile Organizing and Leadership in the 21st Century, and um, I've had the kind of the great privilege to to, to read this a, a little bit before uh, publication, and I can confirm it's it, it, it's a great book. It and it deals with um, as well as giving a kind of a really um, detailed um, uh, picture of the uh, resistance, the political resistance that, that that's kind of going on at the moment. It also offers a really deep theoretical kind of contextualization and and insight and analysis. Um, uh, of this um, and there's, there's absolutely tons in there that we won't be able to talk about obviously in in, in, in full detail today but there's there's still lots to lots that we will we'll hopefully dig into but um I um, I just wanted to ask um first of all is uh, how did you come about to write this book was there a kind of an initial kind of impetus from from one of you all of you or was there a particular event or kind of did it kind of emerge? out of general kind of your general work so maybe um peter um so i'd be interested uh, you know doing the genealogy of this uh from what owen and jamie has said but I, I think that in a sense um from a intellectual point of view this was very much touching on work that i had been doing around technology and kind of radical um alternative organizi- organizing and economics, but then very much also then linked to the work that Jamie had been doing around looking at kind of digital resistance networks and the kind of different ways in which you would honestly think about kind of of class resistance and and kind of labor power within these kinds of new precariat. Um, And then 
certainly, I mean, I think Owan and I have been talking about this because, you know, for I don't know how many years now, just, you know, what's actually at stake then in terms of thinking about the global and the global and, and, and the types of leaderships that's involved with this. And, and, and I think that, you know, from a personal level, I, I don't know particularly when the idea for the book came about, because I feel like certainly almost like a triangle, we've been talking about these issues for quite a while. Um, I think that one of the first inklings I had was when Jamie and I, I think it was the first time we met um, at a common hackathon that we went to um, in which uh, I don't smoke anymore, but we, we went out for a smoke break because we kind of looked at each other and realized like if we, if we don't leave, uh, we're going to start turning over the tables and starting the revolution here. And, you know, we, we started talking about their kind of ideas of guerrilla innovation and, you know, and, and Jamie started as, as he often does giving me like a really good history of like, this is how hackathons used to be and this is how they are now. And I'm just here actually almost like critically to observe them as they get more incorporated within the capitalism. And then I think it was about the same time um, when, um, yeah, when Owen started talking about uh, work that I think he's been ongoing about looking from a Gramscian perspective about kind of like organic leadership and what that's at stake. And then what's the relationship between different social movements. So um, I kind of just thought to myself at that time, because Jamie wasn't working at the OU and Owan and I were that, well, why don't we all just try to get, if not in the same room, because I think that's relatively hard for us digitally in the same place. And then I think, I think it was pretty, it's pretty uh, organic from there. Um, once we all started speaking and started realizing we've been circling around some of these same ideas. Um, I don't know, was that a kind of, uh, did that match your experiences or are you, are you, or are you forming a different barricade in terms of <laughs> what inspired this? No, I mean, not really. I mean, Pete, Pete was definitely the glue. I mean, the, the, the idea came, you know, came, came solidly from Pete. I guess my role was really sort of the leadership guy. I don't, I don't get invited to hackathons. I'm not even sure I know what a hackathon is. Um, but maybe I'm part of a cool gang now and you can start you know, sending me invites, Pete and Jamie. But um, so, so I, I, you know, I've been thinking for a while about um, uh, how, how leadership can kind of level up beyond the sort of small group um, or even individual leader kind of perspectives. And, and actually, you know, I think the field of leadership studies doesn't really think too carefully about um, the role of tech and all of this tends to adopt quite a neutral stance or just kind of pretends it doesn't exist. Um, so, so you know, when I started to hear, you know, Pete and Jamie's ideas, it it, it kind of gave me a gave me a, a hook and a framework to start thinking, I guess, more more radical views uh, around leadership. Yeah, I mean, I think the only the only thing I would add is, I I, I think the first time we met Peter was arguing with somebody about the Egyptian Revolution uh, oh, at a conference. Right. That's, 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 yes. Yes, I, I, it was at Kings. Yeah, and it kind of feeds in a bit, right? Because I think we were listening to some paper where somebody was claiming that, like, Twitter started the Egyptian Revolution, and we had this kind of weird argument about, you know, that none of the strikers in the textile mills are on social media, and like maybe they might have played like a small role in, you know, crippling the economy of the country, and you know, 
being a mass movement and so on. So I think basically Peter and I, my, uh, the encounters that Peter and I have had of causing trouble at, uh, at conferences or hackathons and seeing that maybe, you know, getting people together to talk about technology shouldn't just be figuring out like getting investment and some like new product that you can shill to someone. So I think, you know, a lot of that runs through the book, right? It's like a, a bunch of meeting points we've had to argue about technology and politics, right? I mean, one other thing I think that's important about this and that I would definitely say um, in different ways, Jamie and Awine brought to this that was really important as well was that, well, I think we hope that the book is very, um, I mean, it was meant to be a theoretical intervention and we can talk about why we felt that. I mean, it was very much informed by ways in which, you know, we're actively involved in struggles, right? And, you know, these types of aspects, I mean, I, I think without speaking too much, I mean, Jamie has been involved in actually looking at labor struggles, uh, particularly around the precariat, um, you know, in a variety of different international contexts, including the UK. And Owain, um, you know, in actual kind of more electoral, radical electoral politics. And, you know, some of the questions that I think we raised theoretically are, you know, ones that using different language, we confronted in these struggles, right? And, and, and you know, there's kind of more prosaic questions. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, there's things that I think, you know, Owain, you might want to talk about later about like, you know, things like, you know, how late is too late if you're involved in a strike action at TGI Friday to WhatsApp, right? Like, when are you not allowed to WhatsApp anymore? And what happens if you're a labor leader and you get dings all night, right? These are not small things. So I think while this was a theoretical, like, I think that particularly from different ways, Jamie, you know, one, I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I felt like we were always trying to keep this grounded in actual emergent experiences of struggle, right? And also trying to not think that, which I think a lot of work that does this is think that somehow just because we're using social media or platform that like this is like somehow radically new as well like it was really important to say like a lot of the issues like you know i mean Owen, you might want to speak to this but i mean it would be very interesting to say like yes it might be quite different but some of the issues that you've dealt with particularly supporting progressive labor candidates and these types of things how much different would it be like if you were in the 1970s just without what's up i mean some of these are, are traditional struggles or contradictions or tensions. And so that was also important is that, well, I thought this was theoretical. We wanted this to be theoretical. It wasn't formed by actual struggles that we're engaged in. I wonder if maybe you could um, just clarify a bit for us what 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 those particular kinds of struggles are that you're thinking of. So what, what do you mean by guerrilla politics in, in this in this context? So to get some, so, so, uh, uh, to make sure that's clear about what kinds of things we're talking about um, you know, today I'm with that historical trajectory. Mm. Mm. Well, maybe I, I can speak a little bit more about guerrilla politics as a kind of theoretical intervention. And then maybe, um, Jamie, and well, you guys can come in and, you know, also add theoretically, but also speak to how we wanted to ground this in existing struggles and emergent struggles. Is that cool? Yeah. Um, so I think... One of the key aspects about guerrilla democracy that was very important for us, right, was to think about the existential aspects of democracy. Was that go beyond the procedural? So we're not just talking about like, you know, this notion of what are the processes of democracy, what makes something democratic legitimate in kind of a liberal Republican sense, 
nor are we just talking about this in terms of like kind of radical movement democracy. Like we're asking serious questions about what would be a materialist account, particularly in an age when what counts as the material, right, um, is very much under contention in terms of actually being able to use you know, democratic engagements and democratic theories to think about what it means to, you know, socially transform our existence. And one of the real important aspects of that then was looking at the ways in which we wanted to intervene in a range of debates that we felt weren't really capturing, on the one hand, the viral nature of politics at this point, right? So the ways in which politics is not just involved in network society, but actually is involved in a whole range of infectious and contagious types of knowledge production and movements and experimentations. But also the ways in which when you start to have kind of, you know, really strong critical reimaginings of what could occur, that these have to be rooted in forms of community building and concrete praxis, right? So that this this traditional, well not traditional, but this often separation between kind of, you know, the critical reimagining and the praxis that that's involved, that actually like, those are part and parcel to each other. And so it was a question of how do you begin thinking about, particularly in such a disaggregated, but nevertheless, you know, homogenizing global, uh, global capitalism, um, hegemony, that you could scale up serious radical change, right? And I think that was that was something that really drove us. I mean, and, and I think that from that basis, you know, we began to think about the ways in which you could think about democracy away from just obviously elections and voting, though that can have one part, but as processes of one rematerializing, right? So how you can use various digital platforms and things to actually rematerialize your existing conditions, right? Two, resituating. So all of a sudden, it's not just about engaging in existing debates, but actually resituating the very conditions in which you live, right? Asking new questions and opening yourself up to new possibilities, right? And judging yourself against those aspects. So using less esoteric language, I guess, like, you know, instead of thinking about something like economic growth, think about how would you more promote the commons and what would that involve, right? And turning that into its own kind of democratic problemization and fund of innovation. And then I think the kind of uh, a third uh, part of that was then a continual process of kind of reliquidization, right? Or continual process in which, you know, you're actually really seeing the dynamism of the social as a strength as opposed to something that is uh, a threat to these kind of things. So it's not just about stabilization, it's about a continual process of experimentation and possibility making, right? And I think that that meant understanding that people don't just exist in one demos, but particularly with guerrilla democracy, exist in a whole set of interlinking demoses, right? So they're you know, in constant process of community making in a variety of different contexts. Um, and then I think what's really important about that then is challenging traditional ideas of what power and hegemony is, right? So I think we see power as something that is at its strongest and most vital when it's kind of at its most dynamic, 
right? It's the ability to be continually adaptive, right? It's not just homogenizing. Oftentimes, it's diversifying, right? And then understanding then what would be the difference between what you can see is like an infectious discourse like capitalism, which kind of, you know, demands that different host contexts, uh, you know, innovate to achieve it according to their culture for something that can be a bit more kind of contagious in terms of its radicalism. Like, how would you actually then build up kind of contagious networks where people draw on the experiences of Demos's a world away, right? Um, so I think that was kind of like the the kind of underlying point was like, we wanted to rethink democracy from a point of, I would say, existential praxis. And then from that basis, begin thinking about what would the kinds of viral politics be? Um, so I, I think it's foundation, but I, I think, you know, it was informed by a lot of the work that we've kind of done around that. So I, I don't know, maybe Owen and Jamie, you want to kind of add to that or uh, enhance it or even in good democratic fashion, challenge it. Um. I think the um, I think the no, the notion of a guerrilla democracy is quite provocative in in some ways, but you know we did dance around alternative um, signifiers, and I and I th- and I think it's a good one, right? So you know if you look at, albeit it's a good one, maybe for. In, in the context where we kind of assume that, you know, capital, the, the situation is that capital keeps, you know, shaping the contours of our real. And, you know, we get these occasional sort of bursts of victory that feel great and they're shared a bit on social media and then they dissipate and then, you know, we get dominated a bit more and then another one pops up. So we have these kind of guerrilla moments, kind of, um, you know, the, the latest couple being, you know, the, the, the victory of the refuse workers in Thurrock, which is you know, fantastic. And we had the street action in, in Glasgow, which is probably a better illustration, right, where you have these relationships of, um, you, you know, pretty normal people, actually, and, and activists that have built up over the years to such an extent where, you know, when a, when a home office van is circling around the city, they're passing messages to each other on WhatsApp saying, right, it's coming your way now, keep an eye on it, right, pass it on to the next person, and so on, and eventually pulls up, um, you know, in Glasgow, and then you get this, you get, you know, one in, in Kenmore Street, and you get, you know, a, a couple of people who, let's call them leaders, throw their bodies underneath the vans, very embodied sort of leadership act, I would say. And then, you know, word gets out via networks and a huge diverse range of people descend on the street. So that, that's actually a really good example, maybe, of, 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 of a kind of democratic form of guerrilla leadership. But the question, right, where I get to, and I had a couple of debates, mostly in cars, actually, with Pete about this um, and Jamie later, where I remember I was getting quite excited about some industrial action in Milton Keynes it must have been the the TGI Fridays one and then Pete's challenge back to me was ah yeah okay sure that's fine but you know is there kind of like an underlying sort of working class project here or is it sort of contained to this particular struggle and at the time I kind of pushed back and said well I think it is part of a bigger struggle right because you've got the connection with Fight for 15 and you know this this kind of uprising of um, hospitality workers but actually maybe you know a couple of years later we can look back on that and think well was it just another kind of isolated guerrilla kind of skirmish or you know was it the the beginning of something a bit bigger was it a kind of leveling up 
which would make it a kind of organic process in our in our terms and you can say the same about the glasgow action so 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 i think it's useful to to to, to sort of ground in some ways what what pete said in in some real struggles and and to think maybe a bit more critically about our movement and movements and and think about actually is the problem is the is 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 one i mean let's let's try try to put some of the material uh imbalances of power to one side for a second as if we can entirely and just think about maybe is there a theoretical blockage here as well right sort of a mm-hmm. mode of thinking that's preventing this kind of this kind of leveling up and maybe a part of that is rethinking the digital maybe a part of it is rethinking what it means to be engaged in in kind of guerrilla tactics maybe another part of it is thinking about you know that the, the ways in which we think about leadership are kind of limited at the moment too but yeah no maybe maybe peter jamie you've got got a bit more to say on that i mean only a small thing to say on this which is as somebody who who reads purely theoretical books from time to time that make claims about you know the political conjuncture and how things have changed and so on i think owen's point is really important is this isn't just a book that's putting forward a kind of you know an idealized subject or a kind of new development that is is leading to a shift in politics but tries to root that in a series of existing practices right um now, obviously, for me, the interesting ones, not that, of course, my co-authors, other examples are not equally fascinating, are some of the ones from workplaces, right? Um, of how that kind of, yeah, how that, that kind of politics is being expressed through the ways that people are using and misusing digital technology much in the way people have used and misused other tools, but then thinking about what the implications of these are as we scale them up to a kind of broader level than just a specific workplace and and a struggle that, that that breaks out there. So I think it's you know trying to take those examples and make sense of them in the current political conjuncture, and then of course doing the theoretical stuff on top. But I, I feel too often people just jump to the here mm. is the new politics, right? Um, which yeah, of course, as I've critiqued that, that's not not what we're doing, right? Mm. I mean, one thing that I think is also interesting in terms of of some of this in terms of guerrilla democracy is drawing on what Jamie and Owen have said as well is that I was very interested in not just the underlying political the, the underlying kind of project of expanding the radical imaginary of what's possible right but also kind of prosaic questions that like I, I think we've all faced when we've been struggling either in our own workplaces or politically etc which is why does it seem that in terms of actual labor power, everything is kind of tabula rosa, right? Like every single movement and struggle, even if they're only like two miles away, it seems like we're starting from the beginning. Or every time we deal with capital power, they've been learning. And also, why is it that we see ourselves constantly in struggle and they see themselves in just a constant point of innovation, right? It's just like, ah, Another problem to solve. So it's not that I want to take this and and, and bring that, but I, I think, you know, it was very interesting because I think that one of the things I was talking is that when I was speaking to Jamie about things, right? I mean, it was more not more understandable, but it's like if something's in you know South Africa and something's in the UK, 
I can say, well, why didn't they learn the lessons? Well, because they're in very, very different contexts, despite some similar, you know, massive similarities in structural conditions. But then when you would have to, you know, two days later have a conversation with a wine, and you're like, why is there a struggle happening in Bradford and a struggle happening in Milton Keynes, <laughs> which is like, you know, literally 25 minutes what what drive or whatever. I mean, you know, there are points, one probably where you can talk about this, where you've gone to a labor meeting and literally could walk then to another kind of resistance strike action and, you know, and probably grab a beer on the way and still have time between a half an hour and think, why is there not, why is that they're not learning from each other? Right. And I think that was something that was like really, at least for myself wanting to write it, because I think that that is something that both in terms of ourselves as activists, but also scholars, I don't know how both of you feel, but it really struck us that if you're just even talking about traditional forms of labor power, you know, why is it that every time we have a recognition of labor power and it's, you know, we can't think about its broader revolutionary possibilities if every time it's starting over in terms of being like, oh, we have power to collective action. It's it's like some of the, my favorite writers right now who are doing work on general strike. I'm always very interested when it's like, oh, a general strike works. And it's like, yes, we know a general strike works. <laughs> like there's a hundred years, like, or when we've in the in the most recent uh, thing with Palestine and Israel, without getting too provocative, when they're like, oh, you know, it's it's incredible. Like if workers just actually don't send weapons in solidarity, this can make a huge difference. And there's points where I think, you know, you read this and you, you feel really inspired, but then you're also a little sad because you're like, yes, of course. Like, why is this a revelation every conflict? whether it's at a local level or a broader level. Like we know that if the proletariat, the ship workers don't send weapons, right? Or like, you know, we've known this from Pinochet, like when the Scottish uh, factory workers said, we're not making engines for your planes in Chile. We know this. So why is it that it's a constant revelation for us? And I think that was, a, I don't know how both of you feel, a point of our book, like how do we understand the structural conditions that make it a, that make labor power and radical democracy something that constantly has to be relearned as opposed to be built upon? And what are ways in which we can begin thinking about the viral materiality of digital platforms for overcoming these structural conditions? That's really that's really fascinating. But I just wonder, if, uh, do you see it that that, that, um, that that need to kind of constantly kind of you know, reinvent the wheel every time? Um, is that is that something that's new that, that maybe that wasn't present you know kind of 100 years ago in struggles or or either way is it are the are the structural conditions that make that uh, or seem to make that necessary are they sort of specific to these times in any way yeah i mean i think so so you know you know if you're so if, if i think it's an open secret that when you go to sort of left meetings let's, let's you know say whatever it's for labor left or momentum or whatever um outside sort of the big exciting urban centers they are like turgid places to go because they are and it, and it, and it, and it's you know the same sort of old older sort of white blokes lecturing everyone and they really they're really quite unpleasant places actually and 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 so you, you 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 kind of get to a point where you think, well, maybe it's it's kind of old fashioned structures and organizational processes that are to blame because there must be a wealth of energy and ideas and and keen buzzy people out there. If only we could connect them in 
in kind of different ways and not be so rigid around the the sort of boundaries in which we organize and so on i mean i think an element of this though as well is just you know i think i think we kind of have to recognize the imbalance of power capital and labor you you know you go through a struggle you know often you just you, you don't have the resources to to do the sort of you know extra bits of work of connecting with other people debriefing properly um you know learning and 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 sharing knowledge that kind of you don't you know often like workers just won't have that luxury right so so maybe we need to be thinking about technologies that enable that and and make that as as kind of hassle free or not i mean someone once said and i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna do an annoying thing and then obviously it'll be a marx quote right the like that railways had an important effect on the circulation of struggle because people were more in contact with each other and you know ship workers in docks and so on played an important communicative role in sharing stories of struggles because they talked to people coming off boats and i think there's a real missing potential which i think is one of the frustrations that in a sense inspires the book right is like we have the capability to talk to people all over the world um to share stories to share struggles to learn from each other but the process is never that straightforward right like circulations of struggles you know if i put a tweet out about a strike that we've been organizing it's not you know it's not going to get shared widely because you know we also operate in a, a media environment that that doesn't want people to share struggles right and so i think the dynamic here is one of like what are the possibilities and limits of this technology in in facilitating new ways of doing things that is not just a recycling of old dynamics right um, and I think, you know, platform workers are a really good example of this, right? Um, you know, the recent strike of delivery riders had, you know, Australian riders supporting riders in the UK, you know, globally, these kind of networks coming together, which, you know, even marks on the railways couldn't have, you couldn't have imagined that kind of scale of coordination, right? So there's those kind of potentials that underlie this that I think is qualitatively different from before, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. There's a really, there's really interesting examples that Jeremy just gave there as well. But the, 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 the ship workers and the railways and these kinds of things, especially because, for me, because they're all about movement, of course. And you, um, mobility is a big kind of theme, I think, from the book. I think one, of, one of my big sort of takeaways from it was this kind of argument that you, that. As I read it, that you've made the increased mobility of digital technologies has somehow transformed power functions. I think um, how power functions rather, um, and in in this case, of course, it's not necessarily geographical mobility, but that might be part of it. But it's also like as you're kind of hinting out there, I think Jamie, the mobility of of information and and, and of data and and all of those things. So I wonder if you could kind of elucidate a bit how how that kind of that increased mobility has perhaps changed things well i think i think to one extent we wanted to say fundamentally the power is always mobile right so a key point of power is that it's adaptive it's innovative and it's about its kind of viral logics of spreading right but i do think that what we've also been exploring in the book is that how this mobile aspect of power, right, which is only one dimension of it, right, um, but a fundamental dimension always, has become much more important. And 
what this is kind of meant is that when you begin to look at how processes of capitalism um, has spread, it's spread as a very global innovative force and its insatiability is just in its mobility, right? It's not just about wanting to conquer new territories. It wants to conquer any and all new types of behavior, any and all new types of sociality, right? Anything in which it can conquer will, like whether it's from meditation to, you know, healthy living to, you know, uh, subversiveness, anything. And what becomes interesting is that, it, you know, the the key part of its mobility is also how adaptable it is, right? So it's constantly trying to adapt, right? It's not trying to make South Korea the same as Chile, right? Rather, it's trying to understand how these are host contexts that it can infect. And I think that the internet has, and big data has in particular, made this much easier to do, much easier, right? It's, and it's made these kind of circuitries of power much easier to engage with. Now, what I what I think we wanted to engage with ourselves, though, is on the one hand, how do we make revolution equally adaptable? But also, how do we understand that for capitalism, it's always global, right? It's a global project that has to be continually made locally adaptable. And how do we also make a global revolution, right? How do we make the potential for alternatives? Now, I, I think one of the interesting things is that, um, you know, again, what we're talking about isn't always new. I think it's more exacerbated. Like, I mean, one of the aspects that I think gets really lost if you want to take a, a, a different kind of revolution, not a different, but a revolutionary tradition that we certainly draw upon, um, though it's not all of that we're engaged with, is, you know, the kinds of Leninism of the early 20th century. Now, if you kind of take the traditional narrative of this, it's that, well, this was like a secretarian debate between a bunch of Marxist parties, Bolsheviks won, and it was a theoretical, Lenin was, you know, just writing these things in Europe, and then all of a sudden, like, they had an opportunity and they just took power. And it's like, well, okay, I mean, some of that has residents of truth, but also they were engaged in a huge amount of experimentation, right? I mean, the Paris Commune uh, was extremely important to them, right? Because this was an example like, you know, of uh, a situation in which, wow, we actually did, even in Paris, for a limited time, transform the society, right? Um, I think that the revolutions of 1905 in Russia, uh, particularly the point that Trotsky was there, right? was, you know, I mean, that that affected them and affected their DNA for a very long time politically. Like, wow, like, you know, we can make a commune. We're communists because we can make a commune. If we get a chance, we are going to make a commune and we're going to try things out. I think that, you know, the, for instance, the really interesting stuff that is often missed about Gramsci, and I know one, you know, you've kind of been there, but it's like, you know, I mean, he was, you know, at the beginning of Fordism. He was in those factories when they took them over and they were experimenting with what would be their relationship between a non-guild system, but an actual mass industrial communist workplace, right? What would it be if we had the most cutting edge technologies, but we were in charge of production? So I think in a sense, it was about telling those stories, but also, you know, 
trying to understand how capitalism relies on this type of experimentation, but also this excitement about experimentation. And this way it's like, well, we don't have to do it exactly like we do it here, but you can try to do it somewhat similar and see what works and see how do you can adapt it. And how do we take that in terms of alternative and transformational values? I would also though kind of point to that, that, you know, one of the key difficulties and one of the things that we I think we wanted to point out was that, you know, it is about making these connections, right? And it is about not just telling stories of struggle, but telling stories of creation, right? And understanding what that relationship is. And, and I think that part of what you've seen with the digital politics is that, you know, for the last 30 years, you know, I would say if you want to use this term neoliberalism, I think Jamie and Owen might push back. I, I tend to use it a bit more than I, certainly than Jamie does, I would say. Um, but is that we've been very strongly democratically de-skilled in terms of being able to understand how to use democracy to, you know, make alternatives, right? So it's not surprising that when we do engage in radical struggles with, you know, uh, digital technology, it's mostly from a kind of either resistance point of view or a point of view of kind of liberal critique. And that's not because necessarily the platform itself, it's because of the ways in which the platform has been developed within a capitalist context in which, you know, they want resistance to be largely critiqued. They don't want the creative part of resistance. But of course, you know, and this is where we're the, the, the dialectic here is that they also need it to be a platform of creation for themselves, right? So like, you know, capitalists need, you know, uh, digital technologies to be creative for themselves, right? Like, you know, so you can look at something like, why couldn't we use the same types of algorithms and new management platforms that are pretty much all about automate, uh, automating, you know, HRM now as part and parcel to a, a, a radical user-led planned economy? Right. So I, I think that's part of it as well, is understanding the creative spirit behind it and also understanding that we have to recapture and revolutionize and radicalize the very ways in which, you know, capitalism is involved in global creation. That, that, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, and I just uh, to kind of uh, draw back on something you, you just mentioned as well is. Is, is this kind of, I suppose, this thorny issue about around uh, around neoliberalism. And um, I think something that you kind of suggest in the book is that neoliberalism has some, somehow been transformed by the digital in the same way that, 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 that lots of areas have. Um, and maybe, at least if I read this right, enabled a kind of a move away from the nation state for, for those kind of neoliberal practices. Um, I wonder how, how that's maybe how that's affected how resistance to to kind of neoliberal policies and practices has occurred. You know, that that, that kind of, uh, I suppose this gets back to that that, that issue of the, the globalization that, that, that you were talking about before, Peter, but what 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 does, um, what do you see as being some of those uh, responses to that? I, I don't know if maybe, maybe Jamie wants to come in on that and particularly to talk about maybe some of that, some of the, some of those practical examples that I know you, you you've studied uh, in the past as well. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a good question, right? And I think, you know, partly one of the things that I, I kind of wonder about talking about research at the moment is how we make sense of it, given what's happened over the past. I mean, I yeah, my sense of time has yeah slipped somewhat, but I guess it's the past two years, isn't it? Um, of thinking about, you know, the and Peter is right that I have a suspicion of talking about neoliberalism, partly because often we, I think we should just talk about capitalism um, and not let it off the hook so much. But I think, you know, neoliberalism as a analytical concept is useful, right? Because I think we've seen we see these contradictory withdrawals and expansions of the state, um, which, you know, for example, huge cash transfers. Uh, in the US to citizens, the establishment of a furlough program, you know, a number of these are things that you wouldn't have imagined before the pandemic. Um, and of course, are not, you know, are driven by the conjuncture that neoliberal elites find themselves in, to use neoliberal after saying I wouldn't use it. Um, but, you know, these are kind of conjunctural things, I guess, in a sense, um, that have forced the hand of uh, of people in power. And I think, you know, looking back on some of these examples, you know, particularly when we're talking about how workers have used digital tools to further their struggles, to share their struggles, or even to be a subject of the struggles that they're engaging in, right? Um, you know, I, I, I particularly like one of the examples we found of the digital picket line at the uh, picture house cinema strikes. Yeah. But, you know, we haven't had cinemas operating for most of the pandemic, right? So you get this kind of sense of there are examples and then things have shifted quite substantially. But I kind of wonder in a sense of, you know, reflecting back on some of those examples, if we were to look at examples today, many more workers have had to use digital tools for their organizing or just not organize in a way that they have, have before. And so I think a little bit about, you know, the union that I do a lot of work with, the IWGB, occasionally used Zoom before the pandemic, um, but really used WhatsApp predominantly um, as a kind of method of uh, of communication. Whereas now we've gone through this moment, which I think has accelerated many of those trends around the use of digital tools as, as part of organizing. Um, and I kind of wonder, post-pandemic, if we can imagine what a kind of post-pandemic means in a way which i think right now in the uk is looking a bit kind of ropey of uh, of exactly what that will will entail but i think there's been an acceleration of the take-up of these tactics and strategies so the iwgb will continue to use zoom hybrid meetings you know whether or not you know whether or not the the, the pandemic is a limit and so i think there's yeah i'm not quite sure where i'm going with this but i think there's a kind of uh you know, an acceleration of some of the best practices of the labour movement that the pandemic has has forced people to find new ways to struggle and new ways to organise. But I think we shouldn't just get excited about the working class innovations. Is the state and elites have also been able to test a whole load of things during the pandemic that I think we'll see kind of horrible versions popping off as, uh, uh, you know, even without the pandemic, right? Yeah, so I, I wanted to come in and, and, and ask or three of you actually something on this, which is um, sometimes sometimes it's hard to differentiate between sort of newspaper headlines and the reality of the adoption of 
apps, you know, surveillance control technologies and what have you. But anyway, if you believe the pages of The Guardian, you'll, you'll, you'll believe that, you know, more and more home workers are being subjected to things like, you know, keystroke monitoring, um, algorithms that pick up, you know, whether you're at your desk, you're eating, whether you've got a replacement person there, if you're on your phone and so on. In a sense, that removes a lot of um, discretion for managers as well, because, you know, it takes a screenshot and goes to your manager, who then presumably is, is uh, herself or himself surveilled and, you know, judged by whether they're following, you know, company policy or whatever in terms of how they're dealt with. So anyway, but like, if if we believe that more and more people are being subjected to this stuff, and I probably believe that they are, does that kind of itself provoke a kind of reawakening, do you think, or an understanding of what um, people who've been working in call centres or um, supermarkets or, um, you know, career drivers have been going through? So does that, in a sense, does, does that experience of that accelerant experience of oppression and particularly stuff you there's something particularly invasive I think about experiencing it at home because um, it changes the nature of your space you know um, so does, does that do you think open up possibility for reconceptualizing connection and leadership and struggle or do you think it's like it's more likely that we just we just retreat even further I guess into our different little cellular experiences and and struggles, and I, and I kind of have a follow-up actually about how we learn from failure, but 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 maybe 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 just stick to that for now. I mean, I I'm going to take a, if I can a, a quite traditional Marxist line on this, but I think that is is a um, important one, and that speaks to this is that I think that what you'll see is a commonality in terms of how people negotiate and navigate this. So we've already seen this. I mean, I just published a paper on this and like, you know, hacking cultures. Like, you know, we hack all the time, you know, this kind of surveillance measures, right? Um, ironically, a lot of times we do hacking and, and this is something that I think you can see from precariat. And Jamie, you and I have talked about this. Like, you know, it's, you know, one of the things that you see from Amazon is that they're not hacking these kind of things just like, oh, so that they can, uh, you know, shove it to Amazon. It's because it's the only way they can escape this bureaucracy so they can do work, right? Like it's about actually like like if you if you talk to an Amazon driver, if you talk to an Uber driver, it's like you know a lot of it is just like I'm, I'm working around and hacking these algorithms and doing these little points of resistance, not to change the world, but just like just so I can you know do my job, right? Like. Uh, so there's like a double labor involved like there's the actual selling of your labor to capital and then there's the actual all sorts of you know ephemeral labor resistance labor that you have to do just so that like you can achieve the responsibilities of the job that you're expected i think that part of though what we have seen with the digital and this is where i was introduced marx is that you know i think that we have seen increasingly this distinction between bullshit jobs as like david graber would say and jobs that are essential. And part of the essentiality is that the digital is, the, is a major infrastructure to the reproduction of capital, right? And we've also seen that, you know, being able to deliver goods using these algorithms, being able to help transport people, all of a sudden, this is essential labor, right? So it's in many ways, I think, Owen, that you're going to see a lot of commonalities in terms of struggle. But I think that 
what's going to be interesting is that in terms of actually the revolutionary moments, it's going to be kind of through like on the one hand, you're going to see things like university, which are going to actually be points and spaces of potential experimentation just out of like, you know, this isn't working, right? But then you're also going to see a lot of struggle, I think, and hope. Um, and I think this is why the states, uh, you know, is, is so important trying to incorporate this about saying, we can shut down the entire economy. Like, if I decide not to deliver food to you today, like if, if, if let's say every supermarket worker said in Southern England said, we're not delivering food today, right? Imagine how quickly this would shut down the economy, right? So I think that it's going to be about understanding the ways in which you bring these two types of struggles together as part of a, pro a revolutionary project of, you know, local transformation, right? Because they're both important, right? And I think that was part of our rematerialization is that, you know, if you can understand what the material power linkages are, you can begin the process of stopping certain types of materialization and then also have the ability to rematerialize them in different ways, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that that's my view is that it's going to be commonality in terms of some digital tactics, but then, you know, interlocking strategies of, you know, can we shut down the means of production and then can we turn those means of production into kind of revolutionary means of creativity? Yeah, that's uh, that, that's a, that's a really interesting, really, uh, really do, uh, oh, I'm doing my job and asking questions there. But, uh, but thanks for that. It's really good to that was a really fascinating point. And I, I think that that I just want to bring that back to something else from the book as well, which is that and I think this is kind of what you what you're pushing a bit towards anyway, Peter, which is something you, you pose this question in, in the book of whether smartphones in particular, but I suppose really we're talking about digital technologies and networks in, in general, whether they are tools of oppression or resources for for mobile resistance. And, um, you know, um, and uh, and actually, I suppose, related again, relating to what you, you've both just been um, all just been talking about is. Um, does you know does that experience of that oppression does that turn into some kind of um uh, commonality of experience does it turn into kind of a collective solidarity of some kind or does it does it just individualize again and, and i would maybe throw in as well in there does, does it push towards other kinds of potentially radical but maybe kind of problematic politics and, and you, you do talk in the book about um the kind of the, the relationship between um, between kind of guerrilla um, uh, politics and be, uh, between uh, these kinds of digital um, forms and, uh, and digital virality and these kinds of things and populism and that could be left or right populism of course um, but something that we have seen uh, in recent times uh, political engagement we've seen uh, of a quite radical nature uh, such as the storming of the Capitol building uh, in America, the kind of anti-lockdown kind of protests. These are all political actions which have been going on, which, have, uh, you know, have not come from centralised state or, you know, kind of organisation. Um, is that another potential um, channel for these kinds of these kinds of experiences that, that we're having in, in this kind of particular digital moment? These 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 others which 
we, we might I, certainly I would, would probably agree are more of a more problematic nature. Well, I, I think personally, and I'd be interested in what Owen and Jamie think about this. I mean, I think that there's a general point about guerrilla politics, which you've just pointed out, right? Which is doesn't have an easy normativity around right or left wing, right? Like, I mean, we're talking about here about decentralized movements of existential change. And I think Owen put it perfectly, like, if it, you know, there are oftentimes these kind of various levels of linking up partial victories and, you know, these types of kind of localized points that become kind of global in their impact or at least their knowledge, right? And you've seen the ways, actually, ironically, I think you're right, Chris, uh, Christopher, is that the, um, the right has been much more effective in many ways around this uh, in certain sense. I mean, um, you know, the anti-vaxxer movement is global, right? Um, it's and, and it's worth, you know, doing an empirical analysis of like, you know, what are the kind of, you know, different types of kind of infectious networks that sustain them. But I would also say that, you know, in terms of what makes something guerrilla democracy is that when you look at something like anti-vaxxers or you look at something like uh, populism, it has ironically oftentimes essentialized points of who the people are and also terms of debate, right? And I think a key part of democracy is deconstructing that very point about, you know, who are the people, right? Who's being included in this and who's not? And how are you being included? Um, I think one of the interesting points, and, and granted, I mean, um, I think it was to an extent a, uh, a a failed political project. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think it was it suffered a, a difficult defeat, right? Was that you saw both sides of this, and and I'm going to now put them against, but I don't think it's fair. Uh, but like, what I would what I would kind of speak to Jamie and Owen about Corbin and that project, which I was always kind of things. I mean. I would come out from talking to a wine and feel very inspired. And because there was a sense in which what was at stake with Corbynism to a certain extent was not just this kind of populism, not just guerrilla actions, but actually these kind of coordinated efforts to deconstruct who's the people here, right? Who do you think matters and why? And what does it mean to be a citizen? And what are different ways we can do that? And then with all due respect, I speak to JB. And JB was like, but where's the struggle? Like, like this is all really good, but like, like I, I, like I don't see any strategy. I don't see what's at stake here. Like, you know, like it's all great to have these kind of deconstructive moments, but what's being reconstructed here? It's all deconstruction, you know. But I, I think I think it is a good point about, you know, we are seeing these things that are I think pointing to the fact that the guerrilla politics we're talking about is something that links to whether right wing or left wing the fact that we are in a moment in which the mobile dimension of power right is really becoming strong and important and in which therefore these kind of interventions politically um are becoming more viral i think it's also a call and it's something we write about in the book about kind of having a common sense about like you know this is where you need a rethinking of a left-wing ideology that is not based on homogeneity, but kind of principles that can be innovated upon. So instead of thinking, this is what the commons is, or this is what, you know, we think about like, what are ways in which you take these kind of common, these principles of shared ownership and you turn them into 
a point of experimentation, creativity, and struggle, right? But I do think that, you know, it is a process of continual deconstruction and reconstruction, right? And, and, and I think a real strong question about that is, you know, how do you, how do you engage in these struggles in which you're not just expanding the demos in a liberal way of inclusion, but deconstructing its very foundations for new modes of existence and freedom. Well, at the same time, engaging in, you know, the, the everyday kind of, you know, struggles of, you know, what makes something politically viable and a winning point. And, and I'm kind of being unfair to, because I mean, Owen, I, I don't think that like you were not like <laughs> aware of that. And in fact, I think that in our conversations, you would bring that up quite a bit. But I mean, I think that that is that is a, a I don't know how I mean I think Jamie went off for a second but I don't know how you feel about that Owen but you know I kind of feel like I want to I want to leave that whole Corbynism thing behind because I'm so tired and yeah <laughs> no, no. All, and that's kind of a part of the problem I guess right which is um, we absolutely shouldn't we should find the energy to write a lot of this stuff down and and and, and share it and, and rebuild but differently I think. Um, and I mean, at the time, it definitely didn't. It, it didn't feel struggle-free. It felt like multiple struggles along yeah. multiple um, fronts, really, which I guess is part part of the problem. Um, you know, in many ways, that it wasn't maybe strategic enough and um, and, and focused enough. Um, and again, the sort of digital promise, I guess, of momentum, which was always that it was going to bring it was going to herald a sort of new sort of dawn of, of very participative democracy. Um, never really arrived at it. You know, I mean, we would, by the end, there was stuff like sort of mass voting and participation in, in conference motions and that kind of stuff. And, you know, actually some of that stuff was genuinely like really enthralling and, and, and fantastic. So that, you know, you know, things like Green New Deal and what have you, I think were good examples of, of stuff that came through those kinds of networked network logics but it, it almost kind of almost start, only started to sort of find its feet sort of by the end of the project um, but again not 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 you know another reason not to junk those experiences but uh, but I guess we need enough people to summon the energy from somewhere to to write a lot of that stuff down systematically to so that other movements and other places can learn from it it'll be a while before that, that ever happens again in the UK I guess I wanted to um come back to a part of your question Christopher about um I'm gonna I'm gonna really um butcher your question now but are, are certain technologies sort of inherently evil right or can they be sort of reappropriated for sort of more progressive ends I think it's kind of like that's a question that Gavin Mueller is asking in that in his in his new book on on the Luddites and breaking things at work and I kind of really enjoyed reading it it was very provocative you know fascinating book really highly recommended and I did come away from it with 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 questions but you know having reflected on it and 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 listened a lot more now to you know what what Pete's been saying I mean kind of kind of what choice do you have but to re try to reappropriate kind of existing technologies mostly developed by capital right and, and for different purposes kind of what what choice do you have so so Mueller's answer seems to be to try to slow everything down I guess and, and give us time to reflect and learn but and 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 sure we we you know you know and and you guys will will be able to point to um 
you know examples of of alternative apps and technologies being developed for for different purposes for struggles and whatever but you know to to an extent these things take capacity and time so I, i'm quite a big believer in you know pragmatism and 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 really being able to make the most of the, the tools you already have to hand i guess i don't know what you guys think about that but, um, mm. yeah Without, of course, falling into that, you know, kind of like scientific management sort of, you know, Stalinist trap of we will just adopt, you know, what, what we will just adopt existing, um, you know, technologies and, and you know, just take them over essentially, which I think obviously would be naive. Mm. I mean, I, I, I very much agree. I mean, I, I think one thing I'd like to go on that point is that, you know, and and a lot of people have done really excellent work on this. I think that the uses of technology are often for capitalist purposes, but their development isn't. The development is a much more integrated process with you know a hybrid set of value creations out of necessity, right? It, it's not it's not um, surprising that suddenly um, you know you would have you know organizations start talking about how important collaboration is and cooperation and these types of things. Um, and, 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 you know, I think one of the, one of the, um, kind of points though, that I'm also very kind of, uh, interested in this though, around that is thinking about, you know, with these new technologies, you know, well, you know, how can they be points of not optimism, but kind of transformation, right? Like, so in a sense, you know, I if you if you look at and I don't want to go back, but like you know, we were talking about how sad we are about certain things, like you know, oh that 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 movement failed, right? Now, one of the one of the things is that capitalism has a real sense of creative destruction, you know. I mean, um, you know, to a certain extent, if you think about. Um, you know, all the ways in which, let's take the university sector, which we, we all work in, right? If you think about all the different ways, right, that, um, you know, neoliberal universities have failed, you know, some serious universities are close to bankrupt now, right? And not one of them says, oh, well, you know, this neoliberal project has failed. It's like, what did we learn from this? And let's let's go on, right? And I think that, in a sense, we tend when we you know to 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 have an idea that is like, okay, well, let's use technology in this way, and it fails. Well, I guess that's it. Let's just be dispirited, right? Or you know, we had a left of center political candidate, okay, for a variety of reasons, both you know, structural conditions of our politics, um, structural conditions of capital, and also tactical mistakes. It didn't work out as we would like. Okay, not only what we learn from that, but like, you know, how do we see this as creative destruction, right? Let's create again. Let's innovate again. And I think that's the difficult part. And, and you know, when I see things like, is technology, like, I mean, I, I had Gavin on, on a podcast and it's fan he's fantastic. And I, I like that book and I agree with a lot of what they're saying. But sure. I also think that, you know, the temporality issue is like, well, that's an empirical question. You know, I mean, 
I always, I always like uh, if I can, and if you know, I would encourage everyone to read uh, Oliver Wine's papers and work. One of the great things about a wine's work, um, if I can, and I'm being perfect, like a wine, a wine will 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 do this incredibly elegant theoretical investigation of something or theoretical point. But then he'll be like, but really, this is an empirical question. And then he'll do a great case. <laughs> and I do think that, like, you know, with Gavin's point, you know, it's also like, well, you know, the the, the incorporation of a Luddite radical technology uh, point, that's an empirical question at the moment, right? Like, sometimes you reappropriate things and you want to be very fast, yeah. and sometimes you want yeah, to be slow, yeah. 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 right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm going to take a small I, I think that's a, I think that's a fair reading of the book, Pete. Yeah, quite right. Um. But I, I, I would like to say on that point that, is, you know, I, I think that these technologies exist, right? And I think that what's kind of good about what we're trying to say is the fact that, you know, you can view them as enemies or you can view them as good or bad, but you can also view them as a point of dynamic rematerialization because that's what they're always in, Right. I mean, what the internet is now is very different than what it was 20 years ago, right? So when you get into that mindset of the mobility of power, that gives you all sorts of different opportunities for thinking about how you want to engage with the contingent materiality that helps to shape your existence. Maybe that's quite a good a, a good place to tie up because I was a bit worried about 20 minutes ago that I thought we were going to end on really negative point, a really negative point. <laughs> But I think what what, what Peter and and Owen just got us to there, we 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 lost Jamie a little a little while back, by the way. And um, what 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 got us to there is actually there is even if things are not necessarily um, perfectly where we want them to be on the trajectory of these kinds of resistance at the minute, and it is I think any progress is is not a straight line anyway. It's always progress into what we might want to achieve. It's going to be bumpy. Um, well, it's just occurred to me, Chris, I've just had yeah. a memory flashback. So, yes, it is. And so one thing I'm, I'm observing from from listening to this is is the nature of the digital and learning. Right. So so cap, capital is creatively destructive and it learns and it adapts. So things. That, so the most recent example is the Bessemer struggle in Alabama. Right. Which was, you know, obviously it was it was not a good result. Um a great learning opportunity as well you know it's of I've, I've been absolutely demolishing accounts of that from um just, just voraciously consuming them to try to figure out what happened because i think the learning is so powerful because it what it does it draws amazon out and it forces its hand it forces them to act and to and to flex its muscles but it has to do so relatively publicly so you can learn from that and you can learn about how have the struggle framed it. I guess the, the then challenge is how do you translate that into sort of digital technological form so that it can be widely shared and, and adapted and learned from in, in in different in different contexts. So I didn't mean to railroad that, but I had a, I did have a sudden memory flash, and um, so there we go. No, no, that's a that, that's a great example, absolutely, and I think that. Um, it's always going to be kind of a back and forth and like I say a kind of a bumpy road on this but there is I think there is great potential both in the kind of in the the technologies as they are and as they all develop 
um, Peter saying, you know, the internet today isn't what it was, you know, 10 years ago. And I've just been recently reading about the quantum internet, which is on the horizon, apparently. And I, I, I'm even starting to get my head around what that actually means. But, um, you know, whenever there is this change, there is always a potential for something new. I think who kind of kind of gets the upper hand on this or who kind of uh, in these struggles is always, a, you know, um, up for debate or, or a, a serious moment of contention. But, we, you know, we will see. And, and there's lots of people um, putting a lot, such as yourselves, putting a lot of time and effort into both the, the activism, but also helping us to understand this. And so I think I'd like to say, you know, thank you to you both and to Jamie um, uh, for certainly helping me uh, to to understand the situation we're in. And, and, and I think probably help a, a lot of people going forward in in, 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 in both a kind of a theoretical understanding way, but also in a practical way to think about uh, where we can go forward. So, so thank you for that. And um, I just wanted to say again that I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I highly recommend it. I'll put links up to where people can get hold of it um, in the podcast descriptions as well. But, uh, but, but thanks again. Oh, thank you. It was great. And I really enjoyed the podcast and conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, thank you. It's, it's, it's really fun to speak to you both. Echoes for me too. Thanks a lot, Christopher. Great. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'll, uh, Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks. See bye. You. Okay, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that uh, chat uh, with Peter, Owen and Jamie. You can get more information about this episode and what we've been talking about and particularly the, the book that they've written together um, in the podcast description, also on uh, the associated blog post on my blog, This is not a sociology.blog. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris H. Till. So see you next time.